Welcome inside the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan, joined today by both the boys, Parliament and Pillar with me. World Juniors are over, but not before Jacob Bernard Docker and Team Canada brought home the gold medal in an exhilarating gold medal game. We'll recap how all of your Sens prospects fared at the tournament, and we've officially passed the halfway point of the Ottawa Senators season. Game 42 was Saturday against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Not sure if there's such a thing as a perfect loss, but if so, that was it. The kids look great, but the draft lottery is the gem of this season, which is why we'll be introducing our own Tankathon simulation at the end of the episode. Plus, a dress-down Belleville Senators squad still managed to get back in the win column. This is the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. Today is January 7th, and down by one with the empty net. Pillsy, should that Colin White headbutt goal have counted? Well, you got to love it from Colin White. I mean, this is a guy who's been struggling to produce offensively. So, in my mind, if you can't score the easy way, try scoring the hard way. Using your head. you got to love it from Colin White. But what I loved best about that moment is it seemed like everybody lost sight of the puck. And it was in the air and they were all waiting for it to drop. Colin White was the only one that was watching it the entire time. He thought about high sticking it, but then what's the point in that? It's not going to get allowed. So I guess his next thought was, I'll just headbutt this in and maybe that'll count. Fortunately, it didn't go that way. That would have tied things up. would have been nice. But uh, Parley, what do you think about Colin White using his head there? It was pretty funny, to be honest. And what I liked most about it was, you're right, he was the only guy that seemed to have an eye on the puck. And he had body position out front. And instead of like letting it drop and banging away like most guys would have, he's like, no, no, I'm getting this one out of the air. I'm headbutting it. I'm not giving anybody else a chance. It was a pretty funny moment. Unfortunately, you're right, it didn't count. But yeah, that was one of those uh, misplays of the year to start off 2020. We'll be seeing that looping next year, I'm sure, uh, around New Year's time. The rules are clear that you cannot headbutt the puck in the net, but should that be something the NHL looks at? I know kicking is a little bit different. These guys are wearing um, blades on their feet, so it makes sense not wanting to have those kick around. But what's the harm as long as it's under the crossbar that, uh, that they're not able to do that? And I don't think you're going to see guys like lunging with their heads at the puck that are flying around. If they're like, it's not going to be something that gets added to the to the. Uh, to the strategy of the game. I don't think it's going to take away from it that much, but yeah, I don't know. It was pretty funny. It was a pretty deliberate motion from Colin White, though. It wasn't like it hit his head. Like he fully headbutted that puck. I was looking because I know, I know that uh, Colin White comes from an athletic background. I was really hoping that one of his parents played uh, soccer, but you know, his dad played football and track at Georgia tech and his mom played tennis at Florida state. So uh, maybe it wasn't genetic that the headed butt move, but you know that he's going to do anything to try to get the puck in the net, especially with only three goals in the season. He'll do anything to see that red light go on. Back yeah, then, uh, you were allowed to head foot in football, though. You were allowed to lower the crown. Let's not forget that. Georgia Tech, they probably would have loved uh, the senior of the two whites uh, lowering the boom. <laughs> and Ross, I don't know about uh, your rule, uh, if you can headbutt it under the crossbar. I- I'm not sure how many headbutts... Uh, are going to happen under the crossbar. That would be an interesting way to do it. you got to be below the crossbar and just kind of, like Parley said, lunge at it. But, yeah, Tyler I don't know. If, yeah, yeah, he could do it for sure. Maybe a guy like Brian Gibbons, uh, that would be his his new way of getting the puck in the net, keeping his uh, shooting percentages up. But what a funny play. Too bad doesn't count. Sends end up losing that one. But I mentioned right off the top, like, 
is that a perfect loss? I mean, we're going to get into the new kids on the block, Ballsters and Batherson, making their long-awaited returns to the National Hockey League. But they look good. They were getting power play time. I mean, your top scorer was out of the lineup. Duclair uh, blocked a shot in the game before. He looks like he'll return to the lineup tonight, January 7th, uh, when the Sens are hosting Washington. We'll get into that preview in a bit. But um, is that kind of a perfect loss for the Ottawa Senators? It was very young. And the way I look at it is the giveaways that were given up against the Bolts where you really don't want to be doing that. And it got, And when I say it's a young thing, it's because there's so many young bodies in the lineup that's just going to happen when, you, when you're coming into the NHL and things are moving that much faster. But the one giveaway that really stood out to me in that one was the Mike Riley turnover. It didn't end up in the back of the net. But, I mean, if this guy's going to come in as a veteran guy and play 20 minutes a night immediately for your team and he's giving pucks away on like a simple – one man four check against Tampa. There's a few things that make me maybe say it wasn't perfect. It was certainly entertaining, but uh, there's a few things to definitely work on for a young lineup there for the Senators. And if you're the Senators coming up against the Lightning, a uh, team that had uh, a historical regular season last year, just filled with offensive firepower, losing a game like this where you you were in the game right down to uh, the final minutes, and if the, if headbutting's allowed, then you keep that game going. That's a good good game for the Sens. Like Ross said, kind of a perfect tank game, and that's all right. They're showing the effort, but uh, yeah. Parley, to touch on what you were talking about with Mike Riley, I found a similar thing. I really didn't like that giveaway. And then on the Johnson goal that ended up being the game winner, the fourth goal for the Lightning, that was Riley's guy. And he he was the only guy out front. It was a one-on-one battle. He doesn't tie up Johnson enough. At the last second, he tries to lift his stick. But by that point, it's too late. Tampa takes the lead and they end up winning the game. So, But, I mean, you can't blame too much on Riley. That's a guy who played 20 minutes that's a uh, season high for him this season, and he only practiced once with the team, and then getting thrown out there against Lightning is a tough assignment. So we'll see if Mike Riley can improve as the season goes on, and with more players like Dylan DeMello getting healthy in the lineup, he'll probably slot down to that bottom pair, which I think Riley works well in a bottom pair situation. Yeah, Andreas Englund uh, fighting his way to keep uh, his spot in the lineup. He threw a pretty big head and then ended up having to dance with uh, Pat Maroon. He played the least of all Sens defensemen, just over 10 minutes. Of course, sitting in the box for five minutes didn't help, but I think it's a pretty sure sign that he'll be the first defenseman removed from the lineup once Dylan DeMello is ready to go, which could be as soon as tonight. Christian Yaros just over um, that with uh, 12 minutes of ice time. Looking at the other side, you mentioned uh, Mike Riley playing t- over 20 minutes. Uh, Mark Borowiecki, 24.07, and uh, Hoham, Thomas Shabbat, leading the way. 30 minutes and 12 seconds. That's the fifth time in the last eight games that he's eclipsed the 30-minute mark. And I'm starting to think, uh, you know, that's not the best strategy because he's a minus seven in his last eight games, does have the four points, and he's averaging 31.26, which I'm almost sure, have not looked this up, but I would imagine that is tops in the National Hockey League. So, Really an important sign for the Sens decor to get healthy. Zaitsev still not practicing with the team, um, so he looks like he's still a little bit of a ways away, but they really need Hainsey and DeMello to get back to to alleviate this pressure. People forget that this kid is still 22 years old. He'll be 23 at the end of the month, same day as Colin White. It's always funny to note that. Some of the kids are alleviating some pressure. Drake Batherson with the assist. Nice to see him on the power play right in Duclair's spot. So what did uh, what did you think, Parley? I'll start with you with uh, Drake Batherson's first game since 
I want to say he played the first two of the year, but not since. Yeah, and you mentioned him on the power play, and that was the big takeaway for me because when you look at the numbers, he played 15-56, and four minutes and 36 seconds of that was on the power play. So they're definitely giving him a shot. And we talked about when Logan Brown came up to the National League and how he was going to be the guy that maybe helped out on the power play playing that sidewall. And he was given the opportunity to do so, didn't really run away with it. But you look at what Drake did, immediately stepped in, had that nice pass out front to Pajot, who tied a career high with his 19th goal on the season. And then you just look, he just looks comfortable in that spot. It doesn't matter if he's in the National League or at the American League level. Uh, He finds passing lanes well. I think the thing that I like about him too is he's always moving. Sometimes the sense power play can get a little bit stagnant at times, and Thomas Shabbat has to do a lot of the work up top. But I think that there's a lot of movement from Drake there. So him just moving around, creating passing lanes, and then having the ability to utilize those lanes once he opens them up, I think that's a big plus to have. Uh, Who knows what it'll look like with Duclair potentially back in the lineup tonight, most likely back in the lineup tonight. So hopefully those numbers stay up for him, and he just keeps getting those opportunities. If we're going by what the lines were at practice yesterday, it would be Pajot reunited with Duclair and Kachuk on the top line, then Colin White with Batherson and Nick Paul. Third line, Tierney, Ennis, and Connor Brown. And then the fourth line, Anisimov, Nemesnikov, and Rudy Balsers. On the back end, looks like DeMello will return, so it'd be Shabbat, DeMello, Borvietsky, and Yarosh, and then Mike Riley with Cody Golubev, Craig Anderson, the starter in that game. What I love is that even with Duclair back, of course, Batherson was a recall to take his spot, is that he sticks in the top six. So that's important for the confidence level. Um, there is a chance that they both can't go. So, of course, stay tuned to uh, to the lineups. But, Pilsy, you're on a little bit of a mission here to find out a, a certain stat. And uh, we know Ovi is the perennial goal scorer of this generation. So... There's nobody that's going to be a higher number of goals, but how do the Sens forwards match up career-wise against the grade eight? Well, Ross, when you initially uh, initially gave me this stats assignment to uh, see how the goals stack up, Alexander Ovechkin versus the entire forward core group for the Ottawa Senators, I thought it was a little ridiculous. I didn't think it'd be close enough, but this is close, guys. Uh, any any guesses uh, who takes the win, Ovechkin or the Sens decor before I lay out the numbers? Not decor. Forward, forward core, sorry. Yeah, no defensemen were included in this. Yeah, which I don't think would have made that much of a difference. Now, we'll let the listeners know right off the bat, Alex Ovechkin in his career is sitting at 682 goals. That even just seems crazy to, uh, to say. So 682 goals. What... What number would the Sens forwards have? Like, maybe I'll just Sens players. I'll give you a, and this is the lineup tonight. So guys yes. like Bobby Ryan, Mikel Bodker, they were not included. This is the Scott lineup. Sabrin's that Ovi, goal was not included. <laughs> this is the lineup that uh, Ovi will see against tonight. And I mean, keep in mind, Alex Ovechkin. This guy is where is he on the all-time goals list? He's he's got to be climbing. Yeah, that's yeah. the important thing to remember. Like scoring this many goals and climbing like he's not really slowing down at all you know what i mean he's got i think seven points in his last eight games he was held scoreless in the last one but before that he had three goals it was just he's he's not slowed down at all which is almost more impressive yeah he's 12th 12th all time in goals so 682 i'm gonna say that the senators combined 12 
I'll give you a nice round number. I'll say 700. All right. What about you, Parley? I was going to guess lower and say like 640 <laughs> to 660. <laughs> okay, so that's a good range. We'll go with 660 for you, Parley? Yeah, sure. We'll, yeah, we'll be, we'll be optimistic for these boys. All right. So, yes, as Ross mentioned, Ovechkin, who it's crazy, guys. Before, I remember a season or two ago, there was whispers of the myth that maybe Ovechkin could catch Gretzky. It's looking like it actually might be serious now, especially if he stays healthy and scores the way he has. So that's just crazy uh, as an aside note. But Ovechkin, 682 goals. The entire Senators forward core tonight, four lines against the Washington Capitals, 709 goals. Wow. So we're, we're looking at under 30 goals difference between one player's career and an entire lineup. The guy who really uh, changed this for the Sens Gave them this big victory that they needed. Anisimov, 170 career goals. Yeah. And uh, another guy I was surprised with, you kind of forget how good he was in the past. Tyler Ennis. He's got 120. Yeah. Yeah. You got to remember, he had a six goal night. Danny Heatley on the Danny Heat or not Danny Heatley account called him one of the top 10 rock stars of the decade in the NHL because he had a six goal game. You can't forget this kind of stuff. Six goal game? Yeah, you're right. He did. That's insane. Wow. But that's the thing. Ennis, he's got a nose for goals. Like I said before on the podcast, he just finds ways to score. And he's a he's a sneaky guy that can uh, that's going to help a contending team come trade deadline. So contending teams give Dorian a call. That's crazy. So the Sens' highest score will be on the uh, fourth line tonight in in career-wise. And that, that fourth line, um, Anisimov and Nemestikov are uh, forwards two and three in the highest paid players on the Sens. Colin White is uh, the highest forward with Bobby Ryan out. So that fourth line is just crazy. Wow. And kind, kind of getting back to what we were talking about with the Balsers-Batherson thing, I kind of have a problem with... Balser's being put on the fourth line at this point in his career. Like, why not let him climb the lineup a little bit and play higher up where he is? But, like, I mean, you're talking now. Maybe he's playing with two of the best producers on the Senators. So who who knows what the problem is there? Well, that's the thing. When I saw Balser's on the fourth line initially, I was disappointed as well. Like, this, you guys know I'm high on Rudy Balser's. I think he's going to be a great prospect for the Sens. But those are talented guys. As long as, and I think this helps... Hopefully, you can roll more lines smoothly now with a fourth line that's not just uh, AHL call-ups and guys like Scott Sabrin, no offense, but uh, guys that can actually contribute offensively. So I think Balsers, as long as he can get closer to 10 minutes as opposed to five or six a night, he can feel the puck a little, probably get some power play time as well. I think he can produce with these guys, uh, and especially if you're the fourth line, you're probably being matched up against the other team's fourth line, so lesser competition. So... That'll be interesting to see how Balsers connects uh, with those two Russian players on the bottom line. Only guy to play more minutes on the, or sorry, less minutes than Mikel Bodker against Tampa Bay. So that's not great numbers for Rudy coming into the National League level. No, but there's time with him. I mean, you don't want to throw him and and uh, Batherson right to the Wolves playing 15 minutes. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see how Rudy's used in special team situations yeah. tonight. I'd love to see him on the second power play unit and, uh, and you know, go from there. So th- there's no real rush with both now that they're in the National Hockey League level. I know I said on this podcast uh, a few weeks ago, maybe a month, I thought that Philip Schlappick had done enough to stay on the fourth line and that he had almost graduated the NHL and that or the AHL and that fourth line NHL is better 
for him than top line in the in the AHL. I feel the same way about Rudy Balsters. If he has to play on the fourth line for a little bit, that's fine as long as he's getting his touches on special teams. I think it's more important for him to be in Ottawa full-time than it is for him to be at the AHL level. Now, Drake Batherson, who's leading the AHL in points, he's a guy who's still, I think, growing into his body and can be more of a power forward. We know his, his skill with uh, in terms of his hands and, and his ability to read plays and, and use his vision, but he's a guy who I think will go back down to Belleville, and that's okay for the end of this year because you want him coming up being a top six guy right away, full-time, being able to handle the rigors of an NHL schedule. So if he has to go down, I think that I think it's more important actually for him to play more in the NHL, but then be the first guy to go back down instead of Balsers. So, but here's my question: we've been we've been hearing the Sens preach how they want to keep guys like Balsers, Batherson, uh, etc., in the AHL until they're ready to come up in the NHL and stay there. So Duclair, he might even play tonight. That was the original we- reason why Batherson uh, came up into the lineup. So does that mean they just send Batherson right back down? Like if that's your your mission statement that you're living by, why not send up a guy like Schlappick or uh, Verono or one of those guys to come up for two or three games till Duclair gets healthy, then send him back down and keep Batherson lighting it up like you said. So are they? is there a change of plans or what do you guys think caused... Batherson and Balsers to both be up here when they said they wouldn't send them back down or is is that just the case they're going to be up here the rest of the season now well maybe Scott Saburn isn't an everyday NHL or not to surprise anybody and another thing to mention too is who knows what this lineup and how many players National Hockey League players like a Tyler Ennis are going to be in the lineup come trade deadline so it's so hard to say right now where there's going to be spots open because we don't know who's going to be on the squad past the deadline yeah, and so- something that uh, I've kept in the back of my mind, too, is Bobby Ryan. You know, maybe maybe they had a situation, I'm, and I'm not saying Bobby Ryan moves the needle too much either way for this team, but he's a guy, if healthy, you're probably going to try to get him uh, in a couple games. I mean, he was in and out of the lineup before, but maybe there was a decision made on Bobby Ryan that they they now know he's not coming back, and that, that roster spot is going to be open for a guy like Batherson or Balser. So I'm, I'm just speculating, who knows, but uh, something to think about. Yeah, because Bobby has been seen practicing at the Sensplex by himself. So uh, he has been on the ice, hopefully making a return. And hopefully, uh, I guess more importantly, is that his uh, his personal life is yeah. is back on track because he just seems like such a good guy. I miss having him on Twitter. He used to be the man on Twitter interacting with fans. And then, I mean, once the contract, the pressure of it and uh, not to to speculate too much, but he had to uh, to let that go. Uh, without Rudy Ballsters, without Drake Batherson, you thought, I thought, I bet against the Belleville Senators against Lehigh Valley because I didn't uh, I didn't see them being able to to scrape out a win. Shame. Shame. I know. I know. A three-goal second period really pushed them ahead. Um, they ended up defeating the Lehigh Valley uh, Phantoms um, by a score of five to three, outshot them 37-31. Stick taps to a guy I've been hard on, Philip Gustafson. Uh, 28 saves on those 31 shots. So he got his first win of 2020. Uh, leading the way offensively, shocker guys, Josh Norris. This guy will not stop scoring goals. Leads all AHL forwards in goal scoring. And after a slow start, 
I think he should he should definitely get a sniff this year of NHL action. He's got 19 goals, 32 points in 34 games. Pilsy, you watch him just as much as anybody. What makes him so special? And as I say that, let's uh, let's remember he went without a point on December 14th, and then again on December 18th. Since then, he's got eight goals, three assists for 11 points while he's riding a nine-game point streak. I'll, I'll tell you what contributes to his uh, success, or at least something I would think of. And this is something, Pierre Dorian, we know you're listening, so you can get a smile out of this. He's Brady Kachuk's best friend. And this guy plays so much like Brady Kachuk. It's, you can see the similarities and why they would be friends off the ice and probably on the ice. I'm sure they'd have great chemistry as well. Because this guy, he, he doesn't try to make a complicated play. He's a pucks-on-net guy playing with the body. And now that um, there's more spots opened up in Belleville because of Balsers and Batherson moving up, they've really relied on Norris to step up, and he's done just that. And as a rookie in the AHL, he's lighting it up. Ross, you said you think he should get a sniff in the NHL. I'm I'm not so sure he's he's ready for that. I would like to keep him in the AHL, keep his confidence going, and have guys like Schlappick, uh, Verono, Abramov. Those guys are the guys that get the next call-ups, but... I love what I see from Josh Norris, and I think uh, to maybe a season or two or three from now, we're going to see him in the NHL, and him and Brady are going to be so much fun to watch. Something they also have in common, guys, is getting pucks on net. You mentioned that he keeps his game simple. Well, in his last three games, to give you a smaller sample size first, he's got 16 shots on goal. He had eight three games ago, and then back-to-back four-shot performances, and uh, well... You already know he's putting the puck in the back of the net as well. So that's pretty impressive to see. Uh, He's among the league leaders, too, in shots on goal. If I could pull these up, maybe uh, I'll let Parley chime in on what his thoughts are on Josh Norris as I pull these up. And what's impressive to me is he was kind of riding shotgun to Drake Batherson, who we know has been lighting it up at the AHL level. And then Batherson's not there. What's he do? still goes out and puts up two goals. So it's important to see a guy like that. And I don't want to get too far away from Norris as you're looking at stat up Ross, but another guy that's kind of impressing me right now is uh, Alex Formanton. And the question kind of for me is with Batherson and Balser's not there, is he kind of the the guy riding shotgun to Abramov as being maybe the big name in, in Belleville now? Another guy that I'm still very high on to make that jump to the NHL level soon. I, I'm excited to see he had another goal and he's, he's been doing very well as well. Yeah, he's got the the speed to burn. You know he's going to be an NHLer. It's just a matter of what his ceiling is. Um, he's got a mean streak in him as well. Formanton, actually, all these guys, even Abramov, isn't isn't afraid to mix it up. And for a yep. guy who's five foot nine, it's great to see. It's too bad he's been kind of in and out of the lineup. Um, shades of Bobby Ryan, we just said it because he hurt his finger and then uh, in a freak accident hurt the same exact finger. Um, but he's when he's been in the lineup, he's been dynamite. All the young guys have, but especially the rookies, Josh Norris being one of them. I've got the stat here. So he ranked, he's 20th in the AHL in shots, which is, I mean, still pretty good for a rookie, but among just rookies, only Owen Tippett has more. Owen Tippett has 101 shots. Josh Norris has 98, but guess what? Josh Norris has played four less games. So there's a big gap after those two. Evan Bouchard, which is kind of impressive for a defenseman to be up there, he's third, but he only has 86. So 12 more than the next guy uh, from the four, from the uh, the rookie category. And then you don't have to scroll too much further down to go see the guy that you mentioned, Alex Formanton, who's got 71 shots, 
15 goals in 33 games. So, I mean, Sens fans, stay patient because the future is very, very bright. Uh, with that, do you think we should get to the uh, – let's we'll talk World Juniors a little bit first because that gold medal game was awesome before we get to the, the lottery simulator. And Alexi Lafreniere won the MVP. I think that was about as unanimous as it could have been. The, the only other player I would suggest is Captain Canada, Barrett Hayden. I mean, coming into this game, a gold medal game against the Russians with a bum shoulder and performing the way he did. I mean, at the start of the game, it was obvious his shoulder was hurting. He wasn't throwing out hits. He was uh, getting into the corners a little slow, wasn't playing as physical. But then something snapped. I'm assuming it's when they're down 3-1 in the third period and he realized this is it. And he turned turned it up big time and is one of the biggest reasons why Canada won that game. You love seeing that from a Canadian kid, kid with heart leading Canada to gold. Yeah. You said Lafreniere was the guy who really pushed it, but again, Barrett Heaton was so good and that power play had to, be, that was my favorite part of the tournament. It was watching him cook from that side. And then just every once in a while, like don't, don't blink because that shot will be past you. I mean, it's an absolute laser beam. Uh, I loved how Dylan Cousins played out front too. Always seemed to be the guy out front. And then that Kalen Addison kid was kind of shades of uh, Orion Ellis or maybe even a uh, Joe Hicketts, kind of a smaller guy, but playing that quarterback on the power play, getting it into the shooter's hands. That was my favorite part of the tournament, watching those guys cook. But uh, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that a kill Thomas goal, I mean, Kind of looked like Lafreniere's goal against the States earlier on in round-robin play. I think that was Boxing Day, actually. But uh, tracking that puck down, oldest kid in the tournament, finds a way in what was like four minutes of ice time to put Canada right back in the game. And uh, we'd be even more remiss not to mention that it was Jonathan or Jacob Bernard-Docker. I did it again. <laughs> Man. Jacob Bernard-Docker on the assist. Uh, so it's fun to see another Senators prospect wear, uh, wear a gold medal. Yeah, and speaking of JBD, man, he had a, a heck of a hit, open ice hit, too, in that game. You love seeing that, too. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Parley, you pretty much wrapped it up good there. And on that game-winning goal, uh, it was a kill Thomas, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. The, he, I can't believe the Russian goalie didn't poke check that because he was coming in so fast. He was trying to put the brakes on so hard that he fell. His left uh, skate was just carving up the ice, trying to put the brakes on. And somehow he he stopped enough and got it around uh, the attendee there for the game winner. But you got to love seeing Canada win gold. Oh, you got to love it. And you got to love seeing that all sense prospects made an impact. Now, Lassie yep. Thompson was so close to tying up. the Was it the semifinal or the bronze medal game? I think it was the, the the semi. Anyways, he had a great one-timer. You can go to our, see our buddy Henry at Sends Prospects on Twitter. He's got a video of that. The Tom Bomb in full display. It was just a great, great reactionary save by the goaltender to get across and uh, stymie that opportunity. And then Shane Pinto, just a heck of a tournament. Really brought himself onto the map and then didn't waste any time. Got right back on the score sheet in his first game back with North Dakota. So this guy, I think this is just a jumping off point for his rest of the season. And it's going to be fun watching the bean go, which, uh, which sense prospect were you most impressed with Jacob Bernard Docker, Parley, Shane Pinto or Lassie Thompson at the world juniors. Shane Pinto was just so consistent 
And for a guy that we didn't know where he was going to be playing in the lineup, he went in and just absolutely took a stranglehold of that number one center spot right from the first goal of the tournament against Canada. Like that was, it was an impressive showing. And what I liked the most was that moment. We talked about it a little bit on the last show where him and Lassie Thompson got into it. Both sense prospects jump up and, uh, and kind of take the lead there and stand up for teammates. And both of them showed a lot of firepower. We talked about the guys down in Belleville having a little bit of an edge to them. It looked like Lassie Thompson and Shane Pinto both had that. So it's uh, it's impressive to see that. But I think I was most impressed with Shane Pinto. Yeah, Parley, you took my, uh, my vote there. It's Shane Pinto as well. And what I thought was interesting about Pinto too is uh, Dorian had quite uh, some glowing remarks for him saying... They, they see him as a future second or third line center in this organization. And I thought it was interesting, too. Um, he was the first first pick in the second round of that draft. And there was guys like Bobby Brinks, uh, Kaliev available. And I thought the Sens would take them for sure. And they ended up going with uh, Pinto. And Dorian said they had offers to trade that pick. But they were so tied into Pinto that they wouldn't trade it. And they were willing to take him ahead of uh, what some people would say safer picks in uh, Kaliev and uh, Brinks. So good on Sen scouting, another gem found. And uh, sticking to their guns and getting their guy. I can't wait to see what the Bean does in this franchise. Lassie Thompson, one second, just uh, to go, I think we may have mentioned this last time, but Pierre Dorian was on TSN 1200, said 100% certainty Lassie Thompson will be in North America next year, which is exciting. Yeah, very exciting because he he looks like he's ready and he's playing against men. So important to remember over there. Uh, He looked very smooth. I I said the word poise on the last show when we were talking about him. Uh, Just to hop in quick on what you're saying there, Bobby Brink did look good for us, but I think that was such a good pick for the, uh, the senators to go with Shane Pinto over a guy like Bobby Brink, who I mentioned looked good, but Kaliev kind of looked like a one trick pony, a little bit of a big guy who only really has a shot on, uh, on that right side. So I don't know. It's it's interesting to see that the senators were able to stick to their guns like that. And it's nice when a guy like Pierre Dorian, who we all know loves the role of scouting to uh, be that excited about a sense prospect. Yeah. Love it. And he said he got a lot of trade offers for that 32nd overall pick and he was hell bent on getting Shane Pinto. It's too bad that uh, Trevor Zegers wasn't around. He obviously went, uh, I think, ninth or 10th overall. But that kid has unbelievable vision. Uh, So does Alexei Lafreniere, who's the gem of the 2020 draft, expected to go first overall. So with that in mind... By the way, how good would he look in that 2D Sens jersey? Anyways, I digress. The NHL Draft Lottery Simulator. You can go to tankathon.com slash NHL. So at the end of every single episode from now until the draft lottery, which I assume will be April 10th, give or take, right after the regular season uh, concludes, we're each going to do one spin of the draft lottery simulator and we'll see where the Sens end up. So Parley, without further ado, Give us a spin. Drum roll. According to today's Tankathon, the Senators will not only be taking the third overall pick, but they will be taking the San Jose's pick at number seven. Okay, so three and seven? Two top ten picks. No problem with that. that. That's pretty good. Pilsy, you go, and I'm going to write this down, where they finish, and then at the end, the day before the draft lottery, we'll have how many times they landed on each number the most throughout these four months. It'll be uh, 
it'll be kind of funny to look back on, I think, after it's all said and done. And Ross will somehow find a way to bet on that, just so you listeners know. <laughs> the yeah. Complete degenerate. All right, here we go. Top pick for the Ottawa Senators will be their own pick at number six, and then San Jose's pick at number eight. So you still get two top ten, but you got to get one at least in the top five. I mean, top three even. You you need a game changer uh, for the Sens moving on in this in this draft, especially after not having the fourth overall pick in last draft. So it's okay, but we can do better. We can tank better. The All Sharks right. can tank better. All right, here I'll give mine a spin here. All right, no, I've actually got the exact same as Pilsy. I've got sixth and eighth as the two choices. Um, This one, all three teams won the lottery, so the Detroit Red Wings would be drafting fourth. But anyways, we don't want to take up too much time. I feel like it could get stale quick, but if we have it as just like a minute or two at the end of an episode, it's kind of funny. And then if it lands on what we had the most of, I mean, it just shows tankathon.com slash NHL. You can go check it out there. Kind of funny. Um, not funny the way that it ended here. <laughs> the Sens only getting one top three pick on uh, six uh, opportunities, of course, having two picks in each draft. Well, I think that'll do it for us. The Washington Capitals, tonight's Sens opponent on January 7th. We'll be back to break that down and look ahead to an exciting week ahead for the Belleville Senators, including a game on Wednesday that, wait, is that tomorrow we'll be down in Belleville, Pilsy? Oh, yeah, up against the Utica Comets. Big rivalry game, and uh, we'll see if this new-look Belleville Senators can uh, have the W at the CAA Arena. Come come well, down for the game. It's good hockey. Yeah, if you are, shoot us a message at Send Central on Twitter, and we'd be happy to meet up. You know, shoot shoot the breeze about the Ottawa Senators. Always a fun time. Maybe we'll hop into the TSN studio on the way home and uh, and get a fresh podcast for you guys for your drive into work on Thursday morning. But anyways, that's it for us today on the Locked On Senators podcast for Brandon Pillar for Chris Parliament. I'm Ross Levitan. Enjoy the game tonight and go Sens go. Go Sens go.